All right, guys, we are back. This is officially the relaunch of the Reformation South podcast. Reformation South is a part of Proper Ministries. Uh, Proper Ministries exists to get the whole of the scripture to the whole of the people throughout the whole of life. And Reformation South, we have a, a new tagline, if you will, that you should just be renew and transform, which we like that tagline, but we wanted to be a little bit more precise and a little bit more direct, actually. I wanted to say that Reformation South is a pursuit of sound doctrine, church unity, and a humble faith. Now, we're going to talk more about that as we go through this episode, this being a relaunch. Now, why the relaunch? Um, I'll be honest with you. I think we were kind of, not kind of, I'll say we were definitely trying to take ourselves a little too seriously. The first go around with Reformation South, and really, I think we were trying to make it into something um, and a little bit more weighty uh, than even it needs to be. Now, the reason for Reformation South is weighty. We do believe that churches need to return to the Bible, the Scriptures. Uh, we need to be biblically, scripturally reformed. Now, that's a big deal. That's a weighty thing. Um, but the approach we were taking with some of the episodes was as if we were um, almost in a classroom setting uh, trying to lay out uh, the direction we were taking almost probably was going to end up almost being like a systematic theology and really heady kind of stuff. And we still want to cover all of those topics. However, we want this to be a podcast. We want this to be uh, an open conversation. We want this to feel as though you were just sitting down with a couple of your Christian brothers um, and having fellowship and talking and hanging out. There will be serious topics discussed. There will be weighty, deep topics discussed, of course. Uh, but this is a podcast, and we need to treat it as a podcast. Now, Reformation South is a part of Proper Ministries. Uh, Proper Ministries, we kind of relaunched that as well. Uh, we're trying to get a few things going uh, underneath that big umbrella uh, of Proper Ministries as well. We would pray. Uh, we would ask that you be in prayer for that and, and all of the things that we're doing uh, there. Um, we're going to attempt to start some, some online Bible studies. We're going to attempt to start recording Bible studies and simply uploading them to Facebook, uploading them to YouTube. And so do your best to keep up uh, uh, and follow along with us on Facebook, uh, on social media. We'll do our best to keep everybody updated there. Uh, but be in prayer for us. Uh, if you are near our area, Baxley or South Georgia or even just the Bible Belt at large, uh, we know that you are probably aware of many of the things that we are troubled about and many of the things that we wish to see changed. And by God's grace and through his word, uh, we will see them uh, change. We will see him do a work here through his word and in his people. So Reformation South, Sound Doctrine, Church Unity, humble faith. Uh, where's this coming from? Why is it needed? Um, let's let's talk about it. And let me actually start with something that at first it may not seem related, uh, but it is. Let me, let me kind of front load this whole section um, by talking about this. If you ever hear uh, a sermon, uh, a study, if you read one of our Facebook posts or you're listening to one of these podcasts and we say something that you 
disagree with or even something that angers you or something that you say, well, I can't believe y'all teach that. That is just so wrong. Uh, that is so off base. Uh, listen, the least that we could ask you to do is contact us uh, before you go talking and uh, talking to others and, and, and trying to, to say, well, I can't believe they teach this and I don't believe this and I don't believe that. Uh, the better thing to do would be to contact us, reach out to us so that we could, number one, get to know you. Uh, number two, explain where we're coming from. And hopefully we will be able to sit down with you or at the very least over the phone, uh, have an open Bible there and say, hey, you know, let's read this portion of Scripture. Let's see what God has said in this portion of Scripture. Uh, and, you know, I think we're called to do that as Christians as well. And the same goes for us. If we if we're talking with any of you. And we, and we hear you say something that we believe is wrong or off base or off topic. You know, if we know who said it, then we ought to go to that person and say, can we talk about this? Uh, I believe you said something a little off base there. I believe you said something that wasn't accurate there. Um, and again, that this might not sound related at first, but, but let me explain why I believe this firmly relates to sound doctrine, church unity, and humble faith. It relates to sound doctrine in the sense that Scripture tells us how we are to settle disagreements, settle disputes. Scripture tells us how we are to settle theological disputes. You know, we, we come before the Word of God. We see what God has spoken um, by His grace and through His Spirit. He leads us into all truth, and we ought to be able to say, okay, well, this, is, this over here is sound doctrine. The Scripture clearly supports this, and this over here is false doctrine. It's not there. And yes, there are some things, there are some things that even... For many, many years, Christians, Orthodox Christians have said, well, you can go one of two ways or one of three ways with a, a certain passage of Scripture. And, you know, there's a time and a place to have that. And it's still under the umbrella of Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. But the bottom line is we ought to be studying and pursuing sound doctrine. It pertains to church unity in the sense that if, if Christians hear other pastors, teachers uh, speak, and they hear something they disagree with or hear something that concerns them. And rather than going to that person, they go to other believers and say, hey, well, I'd be careful with that. Or, I, you know, you need to watch out for this. Or I just don't like that. You know, uh, sometimes it's just as simple as saying, I don't like that guy. I don't like that teacher. I don't like that preacher. Um, but that's not going to solve anything. And it certainly doesn't serve for church unity. It serves for division. It serves for strife. Uh, in a lot of ways, it simply falls under slander and gossip because we don't really understand um, what we're talking about at that point. We're just sharing our opinion. And if that opinion isn't grounded in the truth, and if our opinion isn't grounded in the fact that we really know that person well, and we can speak definitively about their intents and about their actions, then really it falls under the category of slander and gossip. And that's not going to help church unity in the least bit. It falls under humble faith because... In humility, even if we hear something that we disagree with or we don't like, humility and gentleness would lead us to say, well, let me get to the bottom of that. Before I before I drop the hammer on somebody or before I completely cut somebody off, um, let, me, let me reach out to that person. Because if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be fighting for unity. But we also need to say, that's my brother and sister in Christ. And we need to be fighting for God's glory, not whether I'm right or he's right or I'm wrong or he's wrong. What we need to be fighting for is that 
we are standing side by side in the faith, united in the bond of peace. And I shouldn't desire to have division or friction or animosity between me and fellow believers. A humble faith leads us to say, we're in this together. I'm going to esteem this person higher than myself, even though we're having a disagreement right now. I'm going to reach out to them and I'm at least going to try to get to the bottom of this and um, and bring some peace and bring some unity. And so that actually feeds very well into one of the one of the biggest issues. Uh, this is a relaunch, so we're going to cover some things we've covered before. If you listen to the previous podcast, we, we have taken them down. We're taking this relaunch seriously. Uh, right now, all you'll find on our page is a few sermons. And um, I think the the series, it's a two-part series, you know, Scriptural Cures for Worldly Woes. Um, and so that's it. That's all we've got. So this is a bit of a relaunch. Um, so if you've already listened to our previous episodes, just pretend, <laughs> indulge us. This is our very first episode, really. And so this podcast and really proper ministries as a whole you know, we live in Baxley, Georgia, Appling County, Deep South, and there are things that we see that we just know. Um, we know that they're unbiblical. We know that they're wrong. They cannot be defended from Scripture. Uh, yes, they can be defended, but only with worldly wisdom, human emotion. Um, you know, we could try to justify our actions all the day long, but as Christians, we have to come before the Word of God and say, okay, the way that we're acting, what we're doing, uh, can it be said that we are behaving as Christians and we are walking in the light as he is in the light? Are we being obedient to his word? And so there, there's just a lot around us. And we're not we're not trying to cast stones. We're again, we're, we're calling for change. We're trying to bring these things up so that so that the body of Christ really can repent and pursue holiness, pursue godliness, pursue righteousness. Uh, so. You know, if we're the bad guys for bringing these things up, so be it. We're the bad guys. But at the very least, I hope that you study the Word, study the Scriptures that we bring up, and really, at the very least, consider what we're talking about. So we're here in Baxley, and listen, there's there's over 100 churches here in Baxley. We, we've talked about that, but again, relaunch, new episode. So we talked about this. Um, we'll talk about it now. If you Google the population of Baxley, I believe the last census that was taken, it's around 5,000, maybe a little over 5,000. There's a, a 120 churches, if not more, listed for Baxley. Folks, that's not good. There's, there's no way around it. Scripturally speaking, that is not good. It cannot be defended from Scripture. That is division amongst the body. It is disunity. It is not glorifying to God. It's wrong. We also see plenty, plenty of just biblical confusion. You know, what does the Bible actually say? You can't, um, you can't believe five or six different things about a particular doctrine and say that all five or six of those approaches are correct. Um, Scripture's not a private interpretation. Um, it means what it means. Uh, it, every word is God-breathed, and it's, it's profitable for, for teaching, correction, reproof, and it's able to make us equipped for every good work. And so we can't just say, oh, well, you believe that way. I believe this way. And we're both right. No, you can't. We can't have that approach. Um, now, I'm not saying that every single person should just get extremely dogmatic about what they believe and say, you better believe the way that I believe. 
here's what we're saying. Here's our stance. At the very least, again, at the very least, if we have differing viewpoints, what we ought to do as believers is say, okay, let's meet up, let's open up our Bibles, let's study what it says, and let's get to the bottom of it because we aren't going to just be satisfied with all of these different viewpoints and us sitting back pretending that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. The faith was once delivered to all the saints. Is Christ divided? No. There cannot be division within the body of Christ. We ought to, at the very least, be fighting for unity, true biblical unity. So where there is confusion, we cannot just be satisfied with people saying, well, that means this to us. Our interpretation of that means this. A whole other different group of believers saying, well, our, our interpretation of that is totally different. But you know what? We're both good. We're both all right. No, we're not. We need to figure out what God has said. We need to figure out what the true biblical teaching is on any uh, particular doctrine. You know, take sanctification. Well, when we're saved, does that are we perfectly sanctified? Do we just stop sinning when we're saved? Or do we continue to have a war between the flesh and the spirit and sanctification is a is a progressive um, act of God that he continues to conform us more and more into the image of Christ? Is perfect sanctification something we can attain on this side of heaven? Or are we perfectly sanctified once we are in glory uh, with God for eternity? You know, and I think that's a very easy part. I think that's a very easy doctrine, doctrinal question to answer. You know, of course, sanctification is progressive. I know that there are those who believe we can be perfected on this side of heaven and that we do reach that point where we just stop sinning. Um, but again, that's not the point of this episode. But again, if I think if we just look at Scripture clearly, we have Paul saying, you know, oh, wretched man that I am. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do them. Um, we, we are predestined that we will be conformed into the image of Christ. That's not something that happens immediately after salvation. And so uh, I'm just using that as an example to say, if there are questions, we need to actually answer them. If somebody has a question and we answer that by saying, oh, well, people feel different ways about that and that's okay, then we didn't answer the question. We need, as Christians, we need to be able to say, Scripture says this, which is to say, God has spoken. God says this. And if God has said it, it's not up to us to debate it or rationalize it or try to say, well, this makes me feel a certain way. It's God has said it. And if God is God, he is to be obeyed and he is to be worshiped the way that he says he is to be worshiped. Uh, we are to be obedient children. But then there also is just biblical illiteracy. And that's not that's not a, a dig. That's not an insult. That It just is. But what is biblical illiteracy? We don't know what the Bible says. And for, you know, for sake of an example that I know isn't going to offend or anything else, I was talking to somebody just yesterday and they were talking about uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19 and talking about a portion of, of scripture where Saul prophesies and he, you know, he, he, he strips down and it says that he laid there all day and night and prophesied naked. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, where is that in scripture? I, I don't remember reading anything about that. I would, you know, I was just completely lost. And so that points me, and I'm not saying we're going to be perfectly prepared for every single conversation, but the bottom line is this. We are not fam as familiar with Scripture as we ought to be. And really, at the end of the day, as believers, you know, yeah, there's going to be some times when we're 
where it takes us a minute to remember something. But I'm again, I'm using myself. And when it comes to, you know, like first Samuel, second Samuel, when it comes to like Leviticus and stuff like that, I'll tell you right now, I'm not as familiar with those books of scripture as I ought to be. Um, and so the bottom line is simply that we don't know God's word as we ought to. When, when you take even just Psalm 119 and you read how the psalmist wrote about his love for the word of God, for the law, and for the commands, if we were just to ask ourselves a simple question, is my affection towards the word of God the same as the psalmist? In Psalm 119. Now you say, Caleb, if it isn't, are you saying we're not a good Christian? Are you saying that we're just terrible people? Of course not. I'm just saying, let's be honest. Let's ask ourselves that question. Do we find our hearts longing for the law and the commands of God? Do we find ourselves longing to know the precepts of God? Do we find ourselves wanting to know God more through his word? Or do we live in a day and age where people just want to feel close to God, where people want to experience something, where people want to look to the sky or look at the trees for a sign from God, or when people are simply eager to have dreams and visions because they think that, you know, that's how God is still talking with us today. Or do we have an affection, a love, a longing for the word? Because if the word of God is able to equip us for every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, then we don't need signs from the sky or signs from the trees or we don't need new prophecy, new visions, new dreams. Because here's the thing, if we're able to be made complete from the word, the word is what we need. And so we see biblical confusion and, and, and in many cases, biblical illiteracy, and that needs to be addressed. Um, and a lot of what we see around here is, is church dysfunction. You know, church function, how does your church function? How's your church structure? Well, a lot would be biblically. But when we say church dysfunction, um, again, this is it seems to be just matter of fact that a lot of the churches around here have a history of families leading the church, deacons leading the church, a lot of turmoil, a lot of strife, a lot of pastoral turnover. Um, you know, the, the average the average stay of a pastor probably rests, and this is just off the top of my head, I'm not looking at a statistic here, but I would say in our area, the average stay time of a pastor probably rests somewhere between two and four years. Um, and th th simply put, that is not the biblical model uh, for pastors or for eldership uh, within the church. And the only way that a pastor could be asked to leave, or in some cases told to leave, if that pastor is a biblical pastor, uh, if he's being asked to leave or told to leave or, or whatever else, if there's strife within the church, then it really comes down to the fact that we're not interested in operating biblically. We're not interested in structuring our churches biblically. We're not interested in following God's guidelines for his church. Deacons don't run a church. A particular family doesn't run the church. Listen, if Christ is not the head of the church, then it's no church at all. If somebody can say, well, this is our church. My grandpappy started this church 80 years ago and we've been running ever since and our family makes sure that things are going and everything else and, and this is really our church. Well, then you're basically saying, okay, well, this isn't God's church. 
this isn't this isn't a godly church. You know, um, scripturally speaking, who leads the church? Well, Christ is the head of the church. What is the purpose of pastors, elders? Well, they are under shepherds. They are the overseers of the souls of the saints. And when God's people rail against, gripe against, complain against their leaders for unbiblical reasons. Now listen, if you've got a pastor that's preaching and teaching false doctrine or that that is falling short in his responsibilities as pastor, by all means, address them, but address address them in a biblical manner. But pastors who are seeking to honor God, seeking to please God and preaching sound doctrine, if there is strife, if there is, uh, if there is railing against them from within the church, then, then what that shows is God's people are actually railing against God and His Word, and they don't want to hear it. That needs to be addressed. It's church dysfunction. Another thing that's, I'm going to say it's odd to me, Odd. I'll stick with that word. I'm not going to go any further than that. It's odd. It's pastor swapping. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing to see a pastor resign a particular church, stay within the same city limits, and just move to a different church up the road. Um, it's interesting to see um, pastors resign or whatever else and then just start doing random work in various different churches around the area. Now, I will say this. Please don't be too harsh with me because I will say this. There are some preachers, can't really say pastors anymore because they're they're moving around from different churches, and I understand that. In some cases, these men are definitely, it's obvious, they are seeking to help strengthen and unify the body of believers. That is wonderful. What I'm saying is odd or interesting is when preachers just kind of move from church to church and they end up kind of having a following that follows them wherever they go, um, that that is potentially damaging, potentially um, harmful. And, uh, and I'll say this, I'm saying this as someone, you're listening to someone that I did resign a church. We have a public Bible study. And there are, there are those from the church that I was pastoring that still come to this public Bible study. So, um, so I get you, you, if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, Caleb, I know who you are and you're, you're kind of guilty of that same thing. That's fine. You can throw that back on me. Uh, so be it. I resigned. I stayed here in Baxley and yes, we do have a public Bible study and yes, you're invited to that. Uh, but I think if you, if you would take some time to consider what I'm talking about a little bit more deeply, especially if you are here in Baxley and you consider the pastors who have resigned, they've stayed or either they just move to a church up the road and they they kind of have their core group that follows them, uh, that lingers behind them. Um, like I said, the main point that I'm trying to make with this is just to say that doesn't support church unity. That doesn't support proper church function. Um, and these things need to be addressed. Again, these are not insults. This isn't me getting on here and saying, this all of this is wrong. Everybody's wrong. We just need to just scrap everything and everybody just listen to me. No, this is me saying we all, every last one of us who professes to be Christian, every last one of us needs to come before the word of God and say, God, what have you spoken on these issues? And if there's any wicked way within us, 
If there's any shortcomings within us, please, God, reveal them to us. And we need to repent and we need to together in unity we need to pursue the glory of God and pursue biblical Christian fellowship, true church unity. I want to read just a brief passage of scripture here from James chapter 3. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If we claim to be wise, if we claim that we're truly seeking God, if we claim that we have love for the brethren and we and we have understanding of the word of God, then we ought to be bearing fruit that keeps in step with what we're telling people. If we're saying we're seeking God, if we're saying that we're walking in wisdom of the word, then there ought to be gentleness, meekness. Uh, willingness to yield. There ought to be a true desire for unity. There ought to be purity in what we're saying, purity in our actions. We ought not be deceiving or self-seeking or envious. We're not fighting against one another. And that needs to be acknowledged. So now I'm going to I'm gonna have a, a hard transition because I don't want to keep just rambling about all of those things. I just want to bring that up for conversation. Yeah, this episode is not very... Uh, I guess detailed. I'm really just bringing these things up so that we so that we get the conversation started, and that's what I want you to. Every time you come to a Reformation South episode or whatever else, we're going to bring stuff up. Some episodes are going to be super structured. We're going to dive into detail, but yeah, this episode, this is just Caleb, in some ways speaking off the cuff and just trying to get it out there. Just trying to get it out there so that at the very least we can think about it, we can talk about it, and again, if you're upset with things that I'm saying. If you are upset with, with some topics that are being brought up, I'm I'm literally begging you, please just reach out to me and let's talk about it. I'm not trying to tear Baxley down. I'm not trying to tear churches down. I'm not trying to tear believers down. What we are seeking is to get everything out in the open so that we can say, guys, believers, Christians, brethren, we've got work to do. We have got to come back to the simplicity of saying, what has God spoken? What does the word say? And are we following what his word says in the churches, in our homes, in the workplace, in our daily lives? Can we honestly say we are seeking to honor him by being obedient to his word? Can we honestly say that our church practices are God honoring? Please simply consider that. So now we take a hard break. Part two of this episode, I guess you could say, sound doctrine, church unity, humble faith. What's the point of that? What does that even mean? Why did y'all pick those three things? What is sound doctrine? First Timothy chapter six. I'm going to 
I'm going to do something I'm not very good at. I'm going to try to be very brief and close out this episode. 1 Timothy chapter 6. What is sound doctrine? If, if that's something that you say, all right, I want to know more about sound doctrine. I want to know, I want to understand what it means. I want to understand the importance of it. Sound doctrine can simply be put as healthy teaching, uh, true teaching. Sound doctrine is that that can be explained, understood, taught by Scripture alone. It's not worldly wisdom. It's not uh, manly wisdom, fleshly wisdom. It is the wisdom that flows from the Word of God and flows from the teaching of Jesus Christ. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome or sound words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the sound doctrine with which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself or avoid such people. You heard me chuckle there in the middle because wranglings is just a funny word to me. So put that in the back of your mind. Now you can stop wondering why Caleb chuckled. But sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. If anyone teaches or observes something that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you can just hit pause right there and ask this question. Where do we find the teachings of Jesus Christ? The word. Where else can we find the teachings of Jesus Christ and know for certain that they really are the, the teachings of Christ? Nowhere else. Scripture alone. And if anyone teaches or agrees with something that is contrary to sound doctrine, contrary to the teachings of Christ, have nothing to do with that person. They're full of envy, full of strife, and they believe that godliness is a means of gain. Now, I'm not here to preach this sermon, but I beg of you, please just take that into consideration. People who think that godliness is a means of gain, worldly gain, it's almost as if you can automatically say, well, they're definitely believing something false. They're definitely pursuing something that isn't of God. Okay? Paul says that people that are deceived, people that are following these false teachings, they are the ones that are full of envy, full of strife, imagining that godliness is is a means of gain. Okay, so, so what does true godliness bring about? What is true faith? It brings about humility. It brings about meekness and gentleness and kindness and love and unity. Let's go to this next point. Unity. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Thank you for giving me time to turn here. Um... Sorry for the dead silence. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One, 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 one. How many times can one be divided? It's not going to happen. Paul here says endeavoring or striving. I'm going to use the word fighting, working to keep the peace, the unity of the faith, unity in the bond of peace. Paul in 1 Corinthians says this. I love this. It's a very simple question, but it kind of puts everything in perspective. In the life of the Christian, what kind of unity are we to be seeking? What kind of what kind of oneness what kind of peace are, to, are we to be striving for within the body? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Speak the same thing. And that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Speak the same thing. Believe the same thing discern and walk in the same manner of faith. It has been declared to me concerning you, my, bre my brethren, by those of Christ's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? That's the question. That's the very simple question. Is Christ divided? And if the answer to that is no, which it is, the answer to that is no, Christ is not divided. Then why are Christians so divided? Well, I'm a, I'm a Southern Baptist. Well, I'm a free will Baptist. Well, I'm an independent Baptist. Well, I'm a church of God. Well, I'm a church of God in Christ. Well, I'm a church of God of prophecy. Well, I'm a Methodist. Well, I'm a United Methodist. I'm a global Methodist. I'm whatever. So why are we so very divided? Here's why. We are not united in the truth. That's the, that's the simple answer that cuts through everything else. If we were united, we would not be so divided. It's just that simple. You say, well, yeah, but Church of God people, they interpret it this way, and Baptist people, they interpret stuff this way. Okay, well, let's get off our high horses. Let's come before the Word of God. Let's all be humble enough to admit that we might have some things wrong in some particular areas. And let's say, what can be supported from Scripture? And if it can't be supported from Scripture... We're throwing it away and we're repenting of it and we're begging God to purify us and sanctify us through his word just as Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Well, I'm of this, I'm of that. We need to repent. Is Christ divided? No. Then why are we so divided? And some of you may say, again, Caleb, I know you, so I know how importantly you take sound doctrine and, and you would divide with people over certain things. Yes, I very much would. I would divide with such people that refuse to submit to the sound doctrine of Scripture. Something that is plainly supported from the text and yet they continue to say, well, we believe this other way and we're, and we're going to keep teaching this other way. Okay, then that's a sign to them that they're not really brethren. Or at the very least, if they are brethren, they certainly are not keeping in step with the gospel at this very moment. And so we do we do distance ourselves from them. First Timothy chapter six, we just read it. Paul says, avoid such people. But when it comes to believers who have a sincere desire to say, hey, we want to be united. I don't care that I grew up church of God. 
I don't care that I grew up Southern Baptist. I don't care that I grew up Methodist. Right now, what I'm interested in is true Christian unity that comes from the Word of God. Okay, that's awesome. Let's, let's get down to business. Let's study the Word, regardless of our backgrounds or anything else. Our allegiance is to Christ, not a denomination, not our pastor that we just love so much, not that person who, who said a prayer with us when we were 10 and we've never been able to forget that person. All those things are great, but that's not where our allegiance lies as Christians. Our allegiance is to Christ and we find our instruction and everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness and we find the source of all wisdom and knowledge in Scripture alone. Scripture alone. Humble faith. What's the significance of that? What is humble faith? Why, why would you think it's important to mention humble faith? Well, we just read from 1 Timothy a second ago. We read there in 1 Corinthians, you know, Christ isn't divided. Um, we are to be united in the spirit, united in the faith. But unity can really only come when people have actually been humbled and people aren't self-seeking. People aren't envious or striving for their own glory. And that's the connection to 1 Timothy, that this dissension, this envy, this strife, this jealousy, it's not of God. That And that can't be supported with sound doctrine. Only people who are following false teaching or, or caught up in things that are not of the faith can continue in their self-seeking and continue in their... Uh, in their selfishness and their envy and in their strife. So in order to have true church unity, which stems from sound doctrine, that's got to be a humble faith. We have to esteem others more highly than ourselves. And so Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, church unity, unity among the brethren, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others, esteeming others more highly than yourself, walking in lowliness, in humility, in meekness and in gentleness let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross genuine faith is that which has been humbled and finds itself walking in obedience to the father walking in obedience to God. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, Christ, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Peter chapter 5. I believe this is a good little cross-reference for what we just read there. In Philippians chapter 2, Christ humbled himself. God exalted him at the proper time and gave him the name that is above every name. We are to walk as Christ walked. We are to be humble as Christ was humble. We are to, to be obedient to the will of the Father as Christ was obedient to the will of the Father. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Humble faith understands that all glory belongs to God. What is our responsibility? To humble ourselves, to be obedient even unto death to be sober-minded, to be vigilant, to fight for unity and peace among the brethren, and to realize that it is God who has saved us, it is God who will perfect us and establish us for eternity. Humble faith. I want to close with this, because I think one of the most humbling, sobering thoughts that we can consider is true salvation. True salvation which comes by the grace of God alone. True salvation that comes from the sovereign hand of God in causing our new birth, raising us up to new life, calling us to faith in Christ Jesus, revealing to us that we are His, chosen before the foundation of the world, called to salvation, raised up to new life, and we will be with Him in glory forever. When we understand that it was nothing that we've done, and it is it is nothing that we will ever do that has saved us. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Why did He save us? Because He desired to. Why did He call us to Himself? Because He set His steadfast love upon us when He did not have to. There was nothing in Him that made Him, or nothing in us that made Him choose us. It was His grace and His mercy. And he has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he hardens who he hardens. Why are we saved? The mercy and the grace of God alone. So I want to read briefly from Ephesians chapter 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Why do we exist at all? He formed us. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. Why do we exist as Christians? 
because he caused us to be born again, even when we were enemies, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. By grace we are saved, and that through faith we are being kept through faith. Why does anyone have faith? Because they are drawn and called to salvation by the sovereign hand of God, and it is an act of his mercy and his grace and his love which he has set upon his people. All who have come to place their faith in Christ Jesus are saved. And for the rest of our lives, we proclaim the message that, that whosoever turns to Christ for salvation will find him to be a perfect Savior. And we proclaim that message knowing that those that God has called to himself, those that God has chosen for his own possession, they will come to faith. They will come to Christ. might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but God is faithful to save that which is his. And we know that the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross accomplishes that which he set out to do. It accomplished the redemption of God's people. It accomplished the atonement for their sin. It accomplished their eternal salvation. And so we praise God for this. And that is a humbling thought that we are not worthy. We will never be worthy. God gets the glory. Christ gets the glory as our Savior. God gets the glory as our merciful Father that has chosen us for His own possession. God gets the glory and the salvation of all men everywhere that turn to Christ in repentance and faith. What glory do we get? None. Our boasting is in the Lord. We cannot boast of anything that we have done nor ever will do. Therefore, why would we seek to walk around accomplishing our own desires? Why would we seek to walk around building our own churches, building our own reputation and our own names? It's foolishness. It, it is emptiness. It is vain. Because the life of the Christian is that which lives to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Him that has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the marvelous light of his son. Reformation South, a pursuit of sound doctrine, church unity, and humble faith. Please join us in this fight. Join us in this pursuit. And may it all be for God's glory alone. Thank you for listening. Please reach out to us. You can contact us on Facebook. You can call or text me directly at 912-339-1133. If you'd like to send us a letter or like to send us something in the mail, P.O. Box 1579, Baxley, Georgia, 31515. We love you guys. We are, we are seeking to, to stir up the body to good works. We know that there was a lot covered in this episode. There's always going to be a lot covered when we get on here. Um, please think about what we've said. Pray over what we've said. Study the scriptures to see what God has said. And if there's any disagreement, if there's any contention, um, if you have any concern about the things that we've said, or if you just want to talk to us and give us your side of the argument, or just give us your thoughts on the topic, I beg of you, reach out to us. Let us hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. May God be glorified in all things. We'll see you next time.